excellent. Just as uh, it's my last night, it's my last night. I've uh, I've, I've run out my uh, my contract, and uh, I, I have a lot of loose ends to clear up. I feel just as we've been going through this this discussion about uh, Holy Spirit and that the effect it has in our life. But I would be remiss if I didn't start with our uh, sabbatical update. You know, it's been uh, been five weeks, and uh, again, I just keep going back to this article. It talks about what people do on a sabbatical, because again, I wanted to make sure it was a real thing. And uh, and uh, it turns out that what a lot of people do is they they try out a new job. But I don't want to panic you that uh, that Mark will be back in two weeks. Do not worry. He 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 did not uh, he did not do overly well at his new job, but he did try out a new job. He uh, tried out this week to be an instructor at a dog obedience school, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. If he got past the shark the first week, I'm sure he's fine. But uh, he's, uh, he's been enjoying his time away. I am sure I don't know that. I'm just sure he is because I, I, I feel it was ordained that he would do that. So, uh, again, he will be back in a couple of weeks. We're, we're blessed to have um, Ken McDonald here next week who will, be do, who will be doing worship as well as sharing the word. And so we're excited about that as well. But uh, I, I kind of got thinking this week, you know, it might be my last chance up here with a microphone. Then, then maybe I should just kind of let you know what I've been working on, just, you know, kind of going beyond the realm of guest speaker, if you will, into the realm of, of kind of a summertime pastor. And so uh, I've come up with some changes I'd like to see, and this is going to take effect almost immediately. Um, probably will last about two weeks, if you're wondering. So, uh, but uh, the first one is this, and, and I, again, the, the title pastor, I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I've been leaning towards Monsignor, um, but... It basically wants to be something where I want you to call me your eminence, and so I'm working on it. I'm working on it, but anyway, yeah, coach, <laughs> no, no thanks. Uh, but the first thing is this. Number one, the first new change that starts today, uh, surprise home inspections. I don't know what you guys do during the rest of the week. I don't know. what. That's not this list. You can take that list down. Um, but that, we're going to start some, uh, some surprise home inspections. I'm just going to show up at your house. I'm going to try to catch you. Were you applauding? I think she was clapping. Uh, I'm just going to start showing up at your house, seeing what's going on, taking some notes. To be fair, anything I see is now fair game for the next time I do come up here. Um, and, of course, the obvious question should be, you know, will I be staying for dinner? And uh, it really depends on what you're having. I'm, uh, I'll, I'll take a look at it. And so uh, that's the first thing that's happening. Uh, second thing, I'm going to be starting uh, performing weddings and funerals as of, as of tomorrow. And so uh, just to save time for me, I'm going to use the same talk for both. Uh, because if you really think about it, if you really think about it, you know, if you're at a funeral, you're probably talking about eternity. And if you're at a wedding, well, it just kind of feels like you're talking about eternity. So, so, so there's that. And, uh, and finally, the, the third thing I'd like to really take, take a thought about is, is why do the kids go downstairs and we stay up here? I mean, if you've been downstairs, there's slides, there's ball pits, there's toys, there's juice boxes. It's basically Dave and Buster's down there. And we're up here sitting in rows every week like a bunch of suckers. So that's going to change next week, too. Uh, next week, I want you to wear your play clothes. Is that still a thing? That was a thing. My mom used to tell me I had play clothes, which always meant to me, what are my other clothes? Like business attire? Like, what, like what, what are my other clothes? But she always would say to me, you're going outside with your friends? Wear your play clothes, which were usually corduroys. But anyway, but uh, so those things are happening uh, immediately. And again, I think they'll last about two weeks before they get put back. But uh, if you see me coming down your driveway, don't pretend you're not home because uh, I'll just keep knocking. So beyond that, I am excited to kind of finish up my, my last kind of uh, talk with you this week. And, and as I do that, I'm, I'm, reminded to, to, I'm reminded to remind you 
that contrary to popular belief, being a Christian or being a follower of Jesus, it's not a performance-based initiative. It's not about that. That would make us a religion, and that's not what we're all about. We instead, we're the story of how God has created in us uh, the sense of, of this being where we are now uncondemnable. We are now at a place in our lives where we know that we cannot be condemned because the God of all creation has said so. And we know that Jesus didn't leave us after his death and his resurrection with a new set of rules, but he did leave us with something. He left us with Holy Spirit, and that's a brand new system, a brand new way of doing things. Holy Spirit did not live in the hearts of believers before that moment at Pentecost when it came. And a true follower of Jesus, we're going to find out this week, is a person who allows Holy Spirit to change them, to change them, to allow themselves to become more like Christ with every passing day. And that's what we call the Christian life, or the Christ-centered life. It's a life where we're led by Jesus to become more like him. And the empowerment for that, the, the, the ability to do that, comes from Holy Spirit. Because we've talked for several weeks now, we on our own simply can't do it. We're not, and we're not simply presented with a new list of do's and don'ts. It may seem that way sometimes. We read, the, we read the New Testament and we're like, oh, I'm getting told to do a lot of this and do a lot of that. But that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to follow a list of do's and don'ts. Instead, we're called to be committed to learning to walk with Holy Spirit. And as we walk with Holy Spirit, what we'll find out is that our lives are going to be transformed. And it's gonna, we're going to get to a point in our life where, you know what? I'm not doing those things that Paul keeps warning me about. But it's not because I've just decided in my own strength not to do those things anymore. It's because that's where Holy Spirit has empowered and led me to a new way of living. And it's learning to, learning to hear that still, small voice from Holy Spirit and to recognize that voice, to recognize that voice in our life. So at that same time, we can accept the power that Holy Spirit brings us, the power to do things differently. It's simply saying, we've been saying this for a few weeks now, it's simply saying in our lives, I can't, but Lord, you can. I can't deal with my loneliness, but Lord, you can. I can't deal with the temptations in my life, but Lord, you can. I can't deal with the pressure. I can't deal with the struggle. I can't deal with the conflict, and I can't deal with the tension in my life, but Lord, you can. And just like uh, we were saved by faith, just like that, the moment of salvation, we accepted that through faith, through an understanding that we can't do this on our own, that we need a Savior. We're encouraged to live our whole lives there, not just that moment of salvation, but live our whole lives there in that moment of I can't, but I know that he can. And it's our reliance on the Holy Spirit it is, produces in us what Paul last week called the fruit of the Spirit, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, goodness and self-control. These are the things, not that are our list of instructions to be followed, but these are the list of things that Holy Spirit will, we will see produced in our lives. That's where Holy Spirit is taking us. That's where this journey with walking step by step with Holy Spirit, that's where it's taking us. And so it's not that we learn how to do these things. It's that Holy Spirit takes us to a place where these things become the natural fruit that we produce. And, and I was thinking about this this week, and it's interesting. You probably have this experience. You probably have somebody who you've been praying for for quite some time. You've brought them to church. They've heard the gospel message over and over again, and it just doesn't click. They come and they say, oh, I had a really nice time at your church. I thought it was really interesting. You've explained the gospel to them. And they say, yeah, I understand all of that, but it just doesn't click, right? And then at some point, somewhere in their lives, they hear that same message again. They hear it presented in the same way they've heard it before. And then just, bam, it clicks. It suddenly, it's, it connects with them. And what we realize is God's been working in their lives this whole time. But it just at that moment in time, 
it's when God chose to move in their lives and they accepted uh, Jesus for who he is. And it's just at that, it's, it's, it's like, like saying it's an overnight success. You've ever heard like a musician being interviewed and the interviewer says, you know, oh, you're an overnight success. And the guy's sitting there thinking, well, I've been making music for 20 years. <laughs> it's just now you suddenly care, right? And that now, now's the point where you've noticed me. And it's a lot like that sometimes in, in people's lives. You know, they're, 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 they're hesitant to, to accept the gospel. They're not sure what they think. They're not sure what they believe until suddenly they're not. And they know it's true and they accept it. And I think the same thing is true when it comes to walking in the Holy Spirit. I don't think for, for a lot of people that, you know, the concept of Holy Spirit in their lives is not something they've never heard of before. But maybe it's that point in your life where suddenly it's taken hold and there's this idea that there's something special going on here. And my hope is that for some of you, that's where maybe you are now. You're, you're on board. This sounds like something that you would, be, you would agree to. You, you've read the scripture that I've been sharing with you and you understand what God says about Holy Spirit in your life. And you like that idea of feeling a li- a living a life free of condemnation. You, you'd love to see that selfish uh, f- uh, fleshly desire in your life fade away and be replaced by something else. You'd, you'd love to see more and more fruit in your life to become evident to, to bless those around you. And you would love to have a closer relationship with God. And now you might be at the point where you're like, well, yeah, but now what? Because if I can be honest with you, the last four weeks have not been very practical. They haven't been very practical at all. Because, for example, if you have a serious problem at work and the advice you're given is, you know what, let Holy Spirit guide you at this time, your response is probably going to be, well, that's great, but i got a meeting with HR in 10 minutes. I don't know what I'm going to do. Or you've, you've just had a huge fight with your wife. I, I can't relate, but some of you have had that experience. <laughs> you had a huge fight with your wife, and you're, and, you're, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, what would Holy Spirit, how do I let Holy Spirit guide me in this moment? And, and you're like, that's not helpful because look how mad she is. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you, you, you know, your, your daughter's missed curfew again. And, and, and you're angry and, and you know, I let Holy Spirit guide me in this moment. But in that moment, you know, it's like, ah, I don't know. I don't know what to do because she just pulled into the driveway on the back of some guy's motorcycle. And I don't know what I'm going to do with this. It's hard. It, it, it's hard when you kind of suddenly find yourself in a moment, and it's great if your mind goes to, no, how would Holy Spirit do this? But it's kind of not the point. It's not a Band-Aid. It's a way of living so that when difficult times come, you already know what Holy Spirit would, where Holy Spirit would lead you because you're already on your way there. And so tonight we're just going to talk about, uh, I'm going to call them three statements. I don't have a better name for them. Three starting points, if you will. These are not rules. Uh, it's been very difficult to mesh together the idea of that we're not all about performance and rule following, but now what do I do as a next step? These are not rules, but I would call these conditions in which we would see Holy Spirit take effect in our lives, things that we can do that will allow Holy Spirit to have a stronger effect on us. And I guess it's a little bit like growing real fruit if you're, if you're into gardening or, or anything like that. You know, how, how can I, I can't make fruit appear in my backyard unless I go buy it, but what can I do? in the way of planting, in the way of, of, of watering, in the way of pruning, in the way of fertilizing. What can I do to make that fruit produce? And so we've just got these three ideas. We're just going to call them three statements for, for tonight. And the first one is simply this. And the idea is that this is going to take us from that moment of saying, can, you know, that sounds good, to it actually being something that is good in our lives. And so the first one is this. Weakness is Holy Spirit's ideal working environment. And we touched on this last week. And I thought about this you know, the, there's a couple uh, sports teams 
that have come up with new names this year. The, the Cleveland team in the, in the uh, Major League Baseball and the Washington team uh, in the NFL, they had to come up with new names. They had to get rid of their old names. And so they just, you know, it, it's interesting to see the names that were shortlisted, the names that were shortlisted. So Cleveland went with the Guardians in, in baseball, and uh, the Washington went with the Commanders in the NFL. And I thought, you know, I, I guess for Washington to call themselves contenders was too was too hard to believe. So they went with, with they went with uh, they went with this name instead. That, but uh, here's a, here's the short list of names that they were thinking of that they were uh, focus grouping, if you will: the Armada, the Brigade, the Defenders, the Admirals, the Generals, and the Red Tails. They're all kind of these strong military kind of sounding names because that's that's the image that they want to portray, right? Strength. And I thought maybe now was a good time for me to share with you the two team names for our upcoming three-pitch teams. I don't know if you've, uh, you've uh, put much thought into this. You'll see in a second I put very little thought into this, but uh, I'm going with it anyway. Uh, the first team is simply going to be called the Flaming Marshmallows because <laughs> I wanted something like w- with the idea of flames and fire, something exciting. And, uh, but I also want, you know, we're, 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 kind, of a, we're kind of a soft, uh, mushy group, so uh, I didn't want to go too far, but... I can't imagine the NFL choosing a new team name and going with the Flaming Marshmallows. Uh, The second one, maybe. Our second team is going to be called uh, Furious George. And uh, (laughs) because, you know, the the monkey's a little too cute and a little too on the nose, but like Furious George gives you that sense of strength, right? But but even still, you know, if you think about other pictures of of little George there, you know, it's not really going to make it onto an NFL field, is it? But it's this idea that, that, you know, so often we want to portray strength. We want to portray strength in, 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 our, in our sporting teams. And I think people want to do that in life, too. And, and uh, what we need to understand, though, is that with God, it's our moments of weakness where Holy Spirit usually changes things in very unmistakable ways. And I think about Paul. And, and Paul, in the book of Corinthians, he, 2 Corinthians, he talks about uh, having, uh, having this... this this issue in his life that he struggles to overcome. He calls it the, uh, the thorn in his flesh. And we don't know exactly what it is. Maybe it was uh, you know, a sin in his life that he couldn't kind of get around. Maybe, maybe it was something he struggled with, like a physical ailment. It, uh, some people think it might have been a person, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a certain metal worker that he talks about in, uh, in uh, the books of Timothy. But we don't know what it is. But he talks about this, this, this wanting to overcome this thorn in his flesh. And it says that Paul prayed for God to remove it, whatever it was. He says, can you remove this from me? It is, it is so difficult for me. And this is how God answered it. It's in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God answered him this way. Uh, and this is Paul speaking. So it says, but he said to me. So it's saying, but uh, God said to Paul. So he, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I want you to think about the question that was asked. Lord, can you take this from me? I'm having a difficult time with something. And God's response is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And we're not going to do a, uh, we're not going to, do the, the traditional peek at the Greek uh, game show tonight because, to be honest, it's a two-syllable word. It seems like a lot, of, a lot of headache to bring somebody up here to say a two-syllable word. But I want to look at that word perfect. It's an interesting word. It says it's made perfect in weakness. And the actual work, word, is some, it, it, the definition is to be brought to maturity or completion. And, uh, and the word itself is telos. And telos, the best example I've ever seen to explain the concept of telos is this. 
is that it's, it's when an acorn, which is the beginning stage, that's the stage of weakness, when an acorn then grows into an oak tree. So the oak tree is the talos of an acorn. It's when it's brought to perfection, it's brought to its final result, it's, it's mature and it's complete. And it's actually, it's interesting, the same root word, talos, is the word telestai. You've probably heard that word before. It probably is, you, you probably perks your ears. That's the actual word that Jesus would have spoke on the cross when he said, it is finished. We know that at the moment we said it is finished. The word he would have said was telestai, and it comes from that same idea. It's now perfect. My plan is now complete. It's brought to maturity. It's now perfect. And so God says that, that it's, in those, it's in that time of weakness. It's when you get to the point in your life where you say, I'm not sure I can handle this anymore, that's where Holy Spirit can have such a huge movement in our lives. Weakness is where Holy Spirit's power is most evident. And spiritual maturity, maturity is not about your strength. It's about your dependency. It's about your dependency on God. So that means the, the more mature believer amongst us, the most mature believer is the more dependent believer. It's the immature Christian who would boast about what they have done. It's the mature Christian who would boast about what God has done through them. The very next verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 10 says this, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's another interesting term. I think some of us, we kind of read that a little bit like kind of uh, almost like a Jedi mind trick, right? These are not the droids you're looking for. This is this, this idea of, of, you know, well, which is it? Am I, am I weak or am I strong? You know, for, it, it kind of seems like, a, like an oxymoron, right? It says I'm weak and now I'm strong. How does that work? And it doesn't say, it also doesn't say that I am weak and he is strong. Because although that's true, that's not what it says here. It's chronological. It's simply saying this, for where I began first, I was weak, like that acorn. I began in a, in a place of weakness, but then, second, I become strong, like that oak tree. And that's what we can mean, and, and what do we mean by that word dependent? It, it's simply saying things like this, I can't, Lord, but I know that you can. Because it's true that humility is an invitation for Holy Spirit to work in our lives. If we think about what those two verses have taught us, that humility is an invitation for Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Holy Spirit can't move if we're not listening. If we're not humbled enough to listen to the leading of Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's not leading us anywhere if we won't go. It's uh, in James, the, the, the half-brother of Jesus, James, in, in the, his letter, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, and he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, and that scripture, that reference is from Proverbs 3, uh, verse 34, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Think about that. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the definition of humility. I can't, Lord, but you can. It's how we were saved, and I would argue it's how we're meant to live. We talked about Paul a few minutes ago and that thorn in his side. Well, it says that Paul prayed three times, prayed three times before God answered him. And I don't know about you, but I can think of things I've prayed for 300 times or maybe 3,000 times but God can take that, that time of dependence where I'm relying on him. That's, that's a sure sign that you depend on God when you're praying to God to, to help you in a situation. You're showing your dependence. And when that happens, we know that that time of dependence is where we can know him better and we can see him move. Have you ever noticed that in times of brokenness in your personal life, that's when we find ourselves surrendered to God? 
the more difficult the situation, the more willing we are to reach out to him. It's the same idea. That, that's, that's why when we begin in a position of weakness and allow Holy Spirit to lead us where we're going and guide us, it, be, it becomes so much easier if you're doing that all the time. And when a difficult time comes, you don't have to frantically start looking around to see where God is because you've been walking side by side with Holy Spirit that whole time. Weakness or dependence is Holy Spirit's ideal working environment. Our second point would be this, truth. Truth is the primary tool that Holy Spirit uses. We have all heard the expression, the truth will set you free. Is that from the Bible? Seems like it, it is, yeah. Sometimes we have these expressions that it kind of have grown up in our society. Uh, it's actually, uh, it was spoken by Jesus. And, uh, and it's, it was in a statement that he made, and I, I'm, I don't even want to talk about that half of the statement. I want, to talk, I want to look at the first half of the statement. It says this in John 8, verse 31 and 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, and this is so key, Jesus is talking to his followers, the people around him. This isn't Sermon on the Mount stuff. This isn't general crowd stuff. This is the people who are with him. These are the people who believe in what's going on and believe he is who he says he is. And he says, he said to the people who believe in him, you are truly my disciples. You go from being a believer to a disciple if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and that truth will set you free. But that first half is so intriguing to me that if you remain faithful to his teachings, then you will know the truth. You know, relationships that are steeped in lies, they hold people bondage. They hold people bondage. And, and, and God exposes lies simply by doing this, by bringing in the truth. And by immersing yourself in the Bible every day, that allows Holy Spirit to lead you. You have to know the voice of who's called you. I, I think about... I think about... Uh, how much trouble I have putting aside my paper Bible. And I know it, it's, it's, I got an iPad, I've got, I've got it digitally all over the place, it's so much easier. But for me, I've spent you know, decades investing in this, in this copy. And although it's covered in duct tape and for some reason it has a bunch of Barbie stickers in the back, it's, it's still what I rely on is this paper copy. Because I, I, I won't let it go because it's this idea that I understand that the, words, that the words that I find in here, the words that I read in here, these are, are how Holy Spirit can lead me. This, this is how Holy Spirit can move me and prompt me in truth. And we can all understand, you know, you've heard this all the time where people say, you know, um, kids and, you know, playing video games and watching bad movies and, and, and uh, you know, if, you, if you're old enough, rock and roll music, all that sort of stuff. What do we always say? We always say that it desensitizes us, right? We say, oh, they've been desensitized by, by all of that, that media, all the stuff out in the world. And I, I just think of it this way, that we need to resensitize, and I'm not even sure if that's a word, but resensitize our conscience to what the Bible has to say. And the only way to do that is to be in it. The only way to do that is to be opening it up and reading through it. This is the only source of truth in the world that is 100%. You, it's not your mom. It's not your superwise grandpa who always gives great advice. It's the word of God that's found in this book, and it's perfect. John 17, 17 says this, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And you know what I really love about that little verse there, just all by itself? It speaks for itself, but what's really cool is that's part of a prayer that Jesus was praying for his followers. And if you go back and read that whole section, he's praying about his followers. And he goes through, actually, verses right before that and talks about how he's not talking about just anybody. He says, those belong to, 
those who belong to my Father. They, Lord, would you sanctify them by the truth? Your word is the truth. And that's what, that, well, that's what we've been talking about, right? We don't use that word a lot, sanctification. But that's that process of following Holy Spirit and ending up, as we talked last week, in that right-hand column, following the Lord in that direction. That's what sanctification is. And it's, it's not about knowing more information, but it's knowing Him better. It's about being sensitive to God's Spirit, and that comes from being in this book. But we don't read our Bibles out of obligation. We don't read it because we have to check off on the list to say, yep, I did it every day this week. We do it to better understand who our Lord and who our Savior is. And there's a, there's a very common, um, I, I guess, euphemism that, that pastors and church people like to use. And I actually Googled it this week because I wasn't sure if it was just kind of made up. You know what I mean? But have you heard this about how, how, um, how federal agent, agents can tell if money is counterfeit or not? Have you, have you ever heard of that analogy before I even tell it? Just my wife. Okay, so oh, Chris too. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so it's just this idea that the way federal agents can tell if they're working on a counterfeit task force, the way they can tell if money's counterfeit is not by studying all the different fake versions there are so that they can recognize, oh, look, this has got this here, it's fake. Oh, look, this here, it's fake. It's actually the opposite. All they do is study legitimate currency. And that way, when they come across something that's not legitimate, they just know there's something wrong there. I actually took a quote from, from an interview they did with the, the head of the Bank of Canada was asking this question. And he said this, federal agents don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying the counterfeits. They study genuine bills until they master the look of the real thing. Then, when they see the bogus currency, they immediately recognize it. And he went on to talk about uh, how often they can't tell you what's wrong with it. They can't kind of put their finger on it, but they just know this is, not, this is not a genuine bill. There's something counterfeit here. Maybe it's too glossy. Maybe it's too waxy, whatever it might be. But they can tell because it's not legitimate, because it's not what they've studied. And what's even more, and sorry, I just said that. So let's look at when Jesus was baptized. I want to kind of finish this one quickly because we have one more to get to. But when Jesus was baptized, and as Jesus came out of the water, uh, sorry, actually, we'll, we'll read this. Uh, Matthew uh, 3, verses 16 and 17. It says this, After his baptism, when Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. And the reason I wanted to remind you of that is because it's very important we understand before we go to the next section of Scripture in chapter 4, the very next thing that Jesus did was he went out in the desert to be tempted. But immediately preceding that, he was baptized. And it's very clear. It says the Spirit of God descended on him. So Jesus is now empowered with Holy Spirit from that moment on. And so what is the first thing that happens? He goes out in the desert to be tested. And so it says he did not eat anything for 40 days and 40 nights. And probably the, the only part of scripture I would say probably doesn't need to be in there simply says he was hungry. So after 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. And then, of course, he was tempted with what? The first temptation was bread. Makes sense. And Jesus replied uh, along the lines of, you know, man does not live on bread alone. And we all know that where he got that from. That was from Scripture. He was quoting Scripture. He was actually quoting Deuteronomy 2, uh, 8, 3. And then he was taken to the highest point of the temple. And he was, he was told to jump from the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you're who you say you are, God will catch you. Or angels will, will suspend you. You, you won't hurt hair on your head. And Jesus, of course, replied with, uh, you know, not to test your God. Do not test your God. 
Do not put your Lord God to the test. That's from Deuteronomy 6.16. And finally, he was tempted. He was given the option, I will allow you to rule all of the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus said, you know, uh, at that point, he gets a little uh, tired of these questions. He says, you know, I am to worship and serve God alone. And that came from Deuteronomy 6.13. And the point is this. Jesus, who had the only credentials. I think it's important to remember this. Did the devil know who Jesus was in that moment? Yeah. Did Jesus know who the devil was? Absolutely. If ever there was a moment for Jesus to simply say, do you know who I am? Are you clear on who I am? In that moment, how did he refute the devil? How did he refute those temptations? He went back to scripture. He went back to the truth. He didn't do it in his own strength. The son of God did not do it in his own strength. Think about what that means. The son of God did not simply remind him of who he was and send him on his way I can only imagine what that conversation would have been like, but he didn't. Instead, he used scripture, the truth of God's word, to send him back in. How did he respond to the temptations? Perfectly, but through, through the prompting of Holy Spirit and scripture. Remember, he's filled with Holy Spirit. We just read that, and that's so key to remember, that he's not simply there in his own strength. He is empowered by Holy Spirit. And so the Bible is where we find truth, and it's where Jesus found truth, too. The Holy Scriptures is where he found truth. And so we need to read it, or memorize it, study it. It doesn't really matter. You just have to know it. And I know a lot of people, and I'm in that boat too, ah, I'm terrible at memorizing. So no, I don't care if you memorize it, then read it. You just have to know. How do you know a counterfeit? Because you know the original. So read it like it's a novel on a Sunday morning, just flipping pages. Read it like you're studying for a final exam. Read it and declare it out loud. Read it, you know, read it uh, while you're waiting in the doctor's office on your phone. Read it as part of, on your phone as, as you exchange uh, verses with friends. Text people you know and care about and respond with scripture. Memorize it so you can read it when you don't have a Bible. It doesn't really matter how, but it has to be in here. If you don't know scripture, you cannot understand the prompting of Holy Spirit because you will not recognize the truth from what's not true. And finally, we'll say this, uh, our third point. A Christ-centered character is the final product. And this is a key idea, too. It's the alignment of his character and our character. That's the final product, is when our character matches the character of Christ. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it looks like in our lives. And if, if we simply do it this way, if I was to answer the, ask you this question, how, do people, how are people to recognize Christians in the world? They're to know us by what? By our love. We're told that, right? It's not our dedication. It's not the buildings we go to. It's not our ability to follow rules or go to church or give when we're at church. That's not how you will recognize a follower of Jesus. It's by our love. The supreme value of Christianity is love. Love for God and love for each other. And what does God want us to do most in our lives? To take you from the kind of person who you are now, wherever you are now, and to bring you closer to the likeness of his own son. It's our character that matters, not our circumstances. Circumstances are the things that allow us to see how our, our character has changed over time, how we become more like Christ. We often see that through difficult circumstances, but our character is the product. Romans 8.29 says this, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The NIV's version says it this way, to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the goal, the character of Christ 
in our lives. It doesn't happen all at once. Salvation happens in a, in a moment. But sanctification takes time. It's a process. And you may, you may have had victories very early on in your life. Very soon after you, you, you made a profession of faith, you may have had some victories. It's like, I used to do this and I don't anymore. And I used to crave this and I don't anymore. But then you may also find yourself in a situation where there's something that's been you know, hanging on for decades and, and you just have such a hard time getting rid of it. And it's just this idea that the process of sanctification, sanctification takes time, but a process has to move forward. If it's not moving forward, it's not a process. And that's, uh, that's our, our, our talk for tonight was just simply called stay lost. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna lose your religion, make sure once you've lost it, it stays lost. That your focus is on following Holy Spirit. It's the process of sanctification, the process of being transformed and conformed into the likeness of Jesus. And so that's our, 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 three, our three statements here, our three statements of fact, we'll call them. Weakness in, is Holy Spirit's ideal working condition environment. Truth is the primary tool that Holy Spirit uses, and a Christ-centered character is the final product. It's about others first. It's about love for one another. It's about producing fruit in our lives. It's about a process, and that process is a starting point, and we, just, we need to ex begin by accepting that I can't, but God can. Holy Spirit can. Because here's the thing about people who, have, who exhibit fruit in their lives. People want to be them, and people want to be around them. People who are filled with the fruit of the Spirit are people who draw people to themselves, and that becomes a process where we can simply use that to draw people closer to Jesus. That, that's our goal. And we're known by the fruit, and, and the fruit will allow us to be in relationships with people that where we can have meaningful influence so that they too can come to know Christ. You know, I think I, I just think I'm just gonna leave it there. I got a few more thoughts here, but I think that's where I wanna leave it. Just to, to dwell on that spot. And maybe you'll dwell on it for the next few minutes or maybe you'll take it away for the next week, I don't know. But to just simply dwell on that thought that where Holy Spirit wants to take us, the part of that, part of that fruit, part of that life that we're gonna leave that we're gonna, lead, we're gonna be led to is the life that draw others to him as well. Why don't we pray? Lord, just so thankful. So thankful for you, so thankful for your word, and, and, and just so thankful for Holy Spirit that, that, that uh, dwells within us, Lord. That it, that, that power, and, and Brian talked about it tonight as well, that power, that, that resurrecting power, it lives in us. It has the power to transform our lives. It has the power for us to move away from the things that we know don't please you and to live a life filled with fruit of the things that do please you. We're so thankful for your son. We're so thankful for the sacrifice he made and so thankful that we can become more like him every day. It is a process and it's not always an easy one, Lord, but it's a process where if we stay diligent to following the leading, following the prompting of Holy Spirit, Lord, we can find ourselves living a life that is, that is all that you promised free of bondage, free of that self-condemnation, Lord, living a life where we truly feel uh, loved and be loved by you. I pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, a few discussion questions for you. The uh, first one's as is. Uh, I guess I'm supposed to read this in case someone's listening to the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, hello. Uh, what, if anything, jumped out at you from today's talk? Uh, second question, can you share about a time in your life when difficult circumstances led to a closer relationship with God? I think that's a very common thought. I know for, I know for me that's, that's, that's 
almost always the, 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 the beginning steps of a time where I, I've kind of stepped closer to the Lord is when I have that, that time where I find things difficult. And finally, what will you do to pursue walking with the Spirit? And more specifically, what's one thing that you can do this week? And so depending on who you do the questions with, um, if, it's, if it's by yourself, with, with somebody on the drive home, in a small group, just love you to spend some time kind of working through some of those questions. Um, I find them very challenging, even knowing I wrote them. You'd think that means I have good answers for them. I, I find them very challenging to do in our small group. But I encourage you to take some time just to work through those. Uh, Ken McDonald's here is next week. That is exciting news. He is a very talented uh, praise worship leader as well as speaker. And so we're excited to have him here next week. And uh, looking forward to seeing you guys then as well. All right.